Park Hopping Podcast number 18. Another crappy podcast production. Hi there, this is Alan of DisneyFans.com, and this is the Park Hopping Podcast, the podcast that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that, yes, anyone can have their own podcast. Well, welcome back. Previously on the Park Hopping Podcast, I ranted and rambled about various things for the new year, and then we took an audio ride-through of the original Buzz Lightyear attraction at Walt Disney World and the latest version at Disneyland. Now, coming up in future episodes, I'm going to be doing similar ride-through comparisons, uh, starting probably with something like Snow White, maybe in the next episode, and uh, I've got some other side-by-side audio comparisons planned that'll let me kind of go through my audio twice as fast and maybe uh, get done with it sooner, and then I can stop making these and go back to just listening to them. Now, before I get started with today's topic, I'd like to do a little bit of park hopping podcast house cleaning. Now, I lease space on a server. I do a little web hosting business on the side and have about 100 sites that host with me, and I set aside 100 gigs of bandwidth for these podcasts, thinking that would be more than enough for, you know, anybody that would ever download me babbling on about Disney parks. But I came very close to exceeding that 100 gig limit this last month, so... I, that I either had two options. Either I had to just leave things like they were, and if it got any more popular, then at some point in the month, the show would just be unavailable until the next month. That way I could leave the bulk of my bandwidth for the uh, sites that host with me. Or I could go and try to allocate more space. So I've uh, acquired 200 gigs additional bandwidth, so now I can dedicate 300 gigs of bandwidth to these podcasts, and provided that it doesn't get three times as many listeners, I should be okay for a while. I really don't think that's going to happen, but I really never thought I'd hit 100 gigs right out the bat. All right, with that said, a few episodes ago, I talked a little bit about the evolution of Disney's FastPass ride reservation system, and I got some interesting comments from some folks, including... um, a listener over in Europe that had some comments about how they implement FastPass over at Disneyland Paris. Well, a listener by the name of Irwin wrote in and said, As one of your two European listeners on your Frapper map, I just wanted to let you know that I enjoyed the last show on FastPass very much. I'm a Disneyland Paris annual pass holder, DLP is about two and a half hours from where I live in Belgium, and I concur with many of the remarks you made. I'm actually a little more critical of FastPass as, while it really can be a time saver, I do really think that the standby lines have grown since FastPass was introduced here four or five years ago. I also think that the system is pretty complicated for first-time visitors who often just don't have the time to read all the information about the system in their maps, so they, who would probably benefit the most from the system, are usually the ones who don't get to use it. I also think FastPass is merely a way to get people out of waiting lines where they can't consume and into more restaurants and souvenir shops, as the time between two FastPasses, at least here in Europe, is often just a little too short to be able to go on another ride. Interesting. Another thing I don't like is the fact that resort guests here in Paris get free extra fast passes, and if you're in a suite in one of the Disney hotels, you even get a fast pass deluxe, which gives you unlimited access to all rides at any time during your stay. That way, it's no longer a free service, but a way to skip the lines which is included in the price of your stay. I don't know if a similar system exists in the American parks. I have visited Walt Disney World several times, but never as a resort guest. Anyway, just my two cents on the topic. Oh, my goodness. Well, no, I I certainly have not heard of anything like that being offered 
in America, at least I've never stayed at a resort, so I don't know, but I've heard lots and lots of talk about it. So now I'm kind of curious. Do Disneyland or Walt Disney World resort guests get any of these super fast passes? I know that the Disney company has filed various patents and has business models and has mentioned things like this as options, but I don't recall ever hearing about anyone being able to do that. Um, frankly, boy, a fast pass deluxe where you could just go and use it on any ride without having to wait, if that's what that, uh, that implies. I tell you what, if somebody's spending $1,200 a night for a hotel, you know, they're spending more in one night than I'm going to spend for admission, uh, you know, in three or four full vacation trips to the park. So, uh, it's a heck of a perk, and at least it makes their, uh, price a little better. Anyway, that was something interesting. I did not know that about the uh, the European Disneyland Park, but it um, does make you think. It kind of gives you an idea of, of what they could be doing here if they're not already doing it, and we don't know. Anyway, thanks for that email. If anyone else wants to drop a comment, the email address is alan, that's A-L-L-E-N, at DisneyFans.com, and the Frapper map that was mentioned in this email is linked at AnotherCrappyPodcast.com, where you can look at the Almost a dozen listeners around the world that listen to me yammer on. So, now on to today's topic, Disney's Fast Pass. Now, what started out as a solution to the number one guest complaint at Disney theme parks, which is the long lines, has turned into somewhat a controversial item with some of the diehard Disney fans. Now, I'm going to admit up front that while I do see and understand the downsides to Fast Pass, I, I love it. The system was first tested back in 1999 at the Disney World Space Mountain, and since then it's spread to other Disney parks around the world. Now, a bit about how FastPass works, or at least how it's supposed to work, was covered in show number 14 here, but there's still much more to comment on. Now, if FastPass bores you to tears, here's another, another show for you to skip. In radio, this is kind of like playing a couple of featured artists back-to-back, you know, having a Beach Boys weekend or whatever, which is great for listeners who love that artist, but it loses the listeners who don't. Yet another reason why podcasting is a lot more like radio than I thought when I was getting into it. Now, for those of you that are sticking around, here's a bit more about the challenges Disney faced with bringing FastPass to the parks. Now, each attraction to gain FastPass required the installation of FastPass machines to dispense the tickets. This obviously required some extra space for the machines and the people that were going in and out to use them, and it created new traffic flow problems for that area. Fortunately, Disney has over 50 years of experience trying to handle lines of people, so this was a minor issue. Uh, there's also the technical side of getting the machines wired up to the FastPass network, which was seen early on with um, disconnected attractions not being able to enforce the fast pass rules and happily issuing new tickets for the attractions whether you already had one somewhere else. But I digress. Now, the real challenge was getting the FastPass ticket holder into the actual attraction. This involved letting FastPass riders merge into the line somewhere close to the load area. This is called the merge point, and it's often where a cast member takes the FastPass ticket. Uh, older rides, such, Flor such as Florida Space Mountain, you know, which opened back in, like, 1975, they were built long before modern requirements of wheelchair access and things like FastPass, so they have basically one long indoor queue area leading through a big-themed spaceport hallway, then eventually splitting off into two standard cattle queue indoor lines for the uh, two different coaster tracks, because the Florida Space Mountain has two roller coasters. The queue was meant to hold hundreds of guests indoors and nice air conditioning and out of that Florida heat. The FastPass challenge was to figure out a way to allow FastPass ticket holders to get to the loading area quickly. For Florida Space Mountain, the early test was done by using an existing secondary line 
which ran parallel to the main queue through the spaceport. The FastPass holders would just walk right past the long line of standby guests right to the merge point indoors, um, which was right where the cattle queues were. This created a lot of, uh, well, it created the first guest problem with FastPass. There was a number of instances where guests in the long, slow-moving standby line would get a little upset by all these FastPass folks just walking right past them. Now, I never personally had any mean comments or anything, but I certainly heard a lot of people saying things like, why do they get to cut the line, and, you know, due to not understanding what this new system was. Well, since the cattle queue portion of the indoor queue line could still be quite long, Disney had to limit how many people were in the cattle queue area. The end result was most of the indoor queue just didn't get used. When riding through Space Mountain on the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover, it was kind of surprising to look down into Space Mountain and see a mostly empty queue when you knew the line extended way outside the main show building on some hot summer day. Now, at that merge point, the cast member would allow FastPass holders to enter the cattle queue, then mix in standby riders, never allowing the cattle queue portion to get, a little, get too long, so they'd kind of act as traffic cops. Now, there was reportedly another test, though I never saw it, where they were dedicating one side of the Space Mountain just for FastPass riders, and that effectively cut the attraction standby capacity in half. The downside of this, of course, is that it didn't let guests choose which of the two tracks they wanted to ride. I'll leave the debate about which side of Space Mountain is better for a different show, but they're supposed to be the same tracks, uh, you know, mirror-imaged, and one has a slight little bit of extra track to go around when they cross over or something. But that's for somebody else to talk about. Now, some other attractions got lucky, too, already having two lines leading into them, but most of them weren't fortunate. Um, For instance, Indiana Jones at Disneyland, which was famous for one of the longest and most detailed attraction queues in the world, it just had no way to get FastPass guests into the temple. Indy was one of the first attractions designed with wheelchair access in mind to the queue, all the way to the load area. It was wider than an older line might be, but not wide enough to split into two separate lines, and certainly not wide enough, um, you know, for a wheelchair and a fast pass line. There was actually a bigger problem to this, is there was a safety video that ev- everyone was required to have seen, and they had a projection room at the end that zigzagged back and forth, and it would play some entertaining themed movies, then it would go to the slideshow portion, which was the safety spill, and it would kind of go back and forth, and you could spend a lot of time in this room and, and uh, not hear it repeat. It was a lot of video, and they had to figure out some way to make sure that all the riders had to watch that safety video before they went to the final walk to the load area. Well, the final solution, at least until they change it, was to shorten that video loop that plays in the projection room down from the long-running movie and slideshow to just a a short safety video that plays over and over every few minutes. They split this room up to hold two sections of lines, and they'd fill the left half and hold them while the right half entered into the ride's loading area. Then they'd reverse the process and start holding the right side while they let the left side go into the loading area. This stops everyone in the room long enough to see the safety video a couple of times before they get released to walk up and around into the loading area uh, where you actually get on the ride. Now, the end result of adding Fast Pass to a ride such as Indy was the loss of the pre-show in the indoor queue and the loss of almost all the great movie footage that played in that projector room. Indy has numerous encoded messages in the queue on the walls, and then you could decode them and it'd give you something to read during a long wait. They used to hand out cards when AT&T was the sponsor that would show you the little uh, alphabet and you could translate them, although the, uh, the characters actually look a lot like the letters they represent. 
And he also had um, some interactive elements, such as a pole you can push to make the spike room roof come down on you, and a rope that you can pull to disrupt the noisy archaeologist supposedly hanging on the end of the rope working in the well. It's a similar effect they recreated later on at Disney MGM Studios outside of the Indiana Jones stunt show, but with different audio. These elements are all still there, but it's much rare that anyone gets to experience them in the post-fast-pass area because you're walking straight through the spike room, and they usually are not using the indoor queue enough for you to circle around to where the rope is. So, again, they spend a lot of money on detail that they don't get to use. As obvious as it should be, the only reason the queue area was ever made so large and detailed and fun was to occupy the time people would spend waiting to get to the actual ride. Think about this. If Indy had had the large people-eating capacity of something like Pirates of the Caribbean, then the queue would be moving so fast and so constantly, it's likely all these details would be missed as well. So FastPass actually removed something that was supposed to be a solution to the problem of a slower-loading ride, when you think about it that way. So far, okay, I've talked a little bit about two pre-FastPass era attractions with long queue lines and how they had to be handled differently to add FastPass. And as newer attractions were opened, they were designed with FastPass in mind, and they created both standby and FastPass lines. Now, I can't remember what the first attraction built with FastPass in mind was, but I think it was supposed to be Rock and Roller Coaster at Disney MGM Studios in Florida. It was at least the first one to open with FastPass installed. So there might be something like, they didn't actually design it with it, but it was the first to open with it. I'd go look it up, but I'm not that ambitious of a podcaster. And actually, you know, when I did try to look it up, I found a reference claiming that Mission Space was the first one built with FastPass, even though it opened years later, and Disney's California Adventure Park opened with FastPass built into all the attractions. So I guess it just shows that you can't trust anything you find on the Internet, including this podcast. Did I, did I mention the thing about Walt Disney frozen under the castle? But I digress. Okay, remember the merge point? Um, for attractions that had the merge point outside, such as Rock and Roller Coaster, the Haunted Mansion, or Indiana Jones, cast members had a security camera, and they could monitor on a small black and white screen. And this would show them how big the line was way down inside beyond the merge point. Once that line was small enough, they'd allow more fast pass and standby riders to mix in. Now, it's been years since I've been to Walt Disney World, so I don't know if they're still using the monitors, but I know that most of them at Disneyland have been removed or changed as they tried new locations for the merge point. So this has been a very evolving thing over the last couple of years, and I wish I would have taken more pictures of some of the stuff. Well, here's an example. Uh, when Disneyland's Big Thunder Mountain gained Fast Pass, they actually tried several different locations for the merge point. Early on, the merge point was a lot earlier in the line under a bridge that the uh, coaster went over right before it re-entered the station. And I remember seeing a modern-looking pipe and a telephone installed there during one visit and just thinking, man, this is really bad show. And that was the phone that the merge point cast member could use to talk back up to the station. Well, my next trip back out to the park, uh, you know, six months later, they had the pipe and the phone all aged down to fit in with the surroundings, all rusted up. And I took pictures of before and after. They're somewhere in my gallery. But that was the merge point, which later moved to just before the line turned and went up the stairs of the loading area. The phone for the merge point where they would use to talk to the load area was uh, taken out and removed. And I think part of the pipe is still there, but nothing's connected to it. And I don't re really remember the specifics of when this was changed. Like, for instance, did Big Thunder Mountain originally have just one wide queue area requiring the, the merge early on, and that's why they had the phone back there? 
And did they later split it into two lines, allowing the merge point to be closer to the load? You know, I don't have any detailed photos of the queue area before 2001, so I don't know. I've got plenty of pictures after they added the fast pass machines and the air gates to the loading area. So this is one of those reasons I always encourage people to take an extra photo. I mean, who knows, you might find yourself doing a podcast five years later and just wonder how the line used to look. But I digress. Uh, okay, now, so Disney started to build FastPass into almost all new attractions and retrofitting as many as the older ones as they could, including fast-moving lines like Pirates, which really didn't need FastPass to begin with. Shows received FastPass also. Uh, tickets to later showings of the 3D attractions like It's Tough to Be a Bug could be obtained. Now, for shows, this kind of made perfect sense because it was like buying a ticket online before you go to the movie later in that day. So this was probably the most natural use of FastPass, just saying I'd like to see the 3 o'clock show. Now, the Hyperion Theater at Disney's California Adventure never actually had FastPass machines, but they would go around and hand out FastPass tickets to park visitors with the later showtime. So they'd walk around and give you the ticket to the 335 show or whatever. And I, I don't really find any problem with getting a FastPass for theater experience, since there's really nothing worse than standing around waiting to see a show than finding out that the show is full and you either have to give up after wasting all that time or stand around for another hour and a half before you catch the next show. So it's a great idea, but the uh, Hyperion Theater hasn't been that busy the last couple of trips I've made, and I haven't seen them handing out the tickets. It's a really big theater. Okay, so all these fast, fast pass machines started to cause new problems at the Disney parks, at least seemingly. With so many machines with fast pass and so many overlapping windows where you could have multiple fast pass tickets at the same time, either legitimately or by cheating the system or, you know, taking advantage of off-network machines, there were more and more people clogging the parks that would normally have been standing in a line somewhere. There were so many other things going on, at least at Disneyland, during the, the, these days that it's really impossible to know how much of an effect FastPass was contributing to this. For instance, we don't know how many people actually stood in the standby lines for a longer period of time. You know, after all, 100 people standing in a 30-minute line absorbs the same amount of people as a smaller percentage in a shorter line would uh, with the rest in a longer line. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's the same number. It's that old um, polling thing where they use the little red marbles and the blue marbles and they mix them around and it ends up being the same thing. Anyway, uh, if FastPass increases standby lines, then those standby people spend more time in line taking them out of the streets longer. So you'd think it would come out the head. Well, I got a real good breakdown of this somewhere that, proves, that, that proved a system like FastPass didn't significantly contribute to the clogging of the walkways. Basically, if the attraction continues to run at the same capacity and we agree that FastPass causes standby lines to be longer, the end result would be the same without FastPass. It would just be that FastPass riders spend more time on the walkways than standby riders do, but the actual body count would be the same. I, I feel like I'm going around in circles on this, but doing the math, math, um, uh, the only real way FastPass could make the walkways more crowded would be if the ride capacity went down or if less people were using standby than before. And that, that probably happens to an extent because people who might stand in a 60-minute normal line might not stand in a 90-minute standby line of the same amount of people. So anyway, but play with the numbers yourself. You'll be able to see 
that what really causes the walkways to be clogged is not actually fast pass holders, but people not getting in longer standby lines, which were caused by fast pass. And I certainly encourage others to contribute similar mathematical comments on fast path. I'm sure there's many ways to look at this, and we'd end up arguing over semantics. The end result is, of course, that because of fast pass, more people will be in the walkways, and the same can be said of any reduction in right capacity that increases the line weights, like when a roller coaster isn't running, you know, all the trains it can or whatever. So, all right, this sounds like a good experiment for a simulation program or something. Does anyone know if Roller Coaster Tycoon or some other sim software can simulate FastPass? Maybe it's time to re revisit that old Sim Disneyland program I was going to be doing with someone a few years ago. It's kind of a shame we never got past uh, the opening title screen. Well, I guess the only thing left to discuss about FastPass is how to really cheat the system. Yeah, I know, that was the title of the episode a couple of times ago. Sure, there's obvious ways, like using counterfeit tickets you can download and print from the internet, but is it really worth being kicked out of the park or losing your annual pass if you get caught? There's even speculation about special barcodes that will always generate a fast pass ticket tied to some special front-of-line thing that Disney did, does, or is planning to offer hotel guests, very similar to the stuff going on in Paris. Or maybe this is all just another Disney urban legend. About the only legitimate cheat I know of today is strictly an example of Disney going above and beyond what they would normally have to do. Now, at least at Disneyland, you can still get on an attraction with an expired FastPass ticket from the same day. That is, if your return time was between 1 and 2, and you just couldn't get back to the attraction until after 2, cast members seem to still allow you to ride. They don't have to, as your FastPass ticket clearly states your time, but it's something to keep in mind. If you miss the window and you're really disappointed, remember, this is Disney. It never hurts to ask to see if they'll still let you on. But be nice. Just assuming Disney has a policy of bending the rules is, is just rude. And if you find a cast member who sticks to the printed times on your tickets, don't get upset with them. And also don't get upset if you bring a ticket in from an earlier day and try to use it. Sure, a lot of times the cast members will only be looking at the return time and may fail to notice that the ticket was from a previous day and let you use it. But if they do, it's you who's breaking the rules. The cast member is just doing their job. Got it? Good. All right, so the next time you're there, take an extra picture and shoot some extra video because you really never know when something you like, love, or hate, like FastPass, is going to go away and never be around again. Hey, I've got pictures of FastPass back when it was on Pirates of the Caribbean, and it's a small world and the regular haunted mansion. Who would have thunk? Well, on that note, I think that'll do it for me this time, so be sure to visit DisneyFans.com, where you can browse over 25,000 digital pictures I've taken at Disneyland, Disney World, and other theme parks across the country, and dozens and dozens of downloadable video files, including some in 3D from the Disney parks here. If you want to drop me a note, my email address is alan, that's A-L-L-E-N, at DisneyFans.com. This has been the Park Hopping Podcast, show number 18, Fast Pass Revisited. Thanks for listening. Another Crappy Podcast production. Be sure to visit anothercrappypodcast.com to learn more about this and other equally exciting <sighs> podcasts. Mm.